You're listening to an Anderson Entertainment production. This episode, you're going to hear us roar in Fab Facts. Our guest villain is in need of a comb in the randomizer. And Keith Shackleton takes a curtain call in the final chapter of his interview. That's all coming up in pod 245 of the Jerry Anderson Podcast. Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson and Richard James. I wonder if you collected all of the strange intonations and emphases and yeah. uh, missayings I've I've said. Right. Uh, how long that would go on for? Several right. hours, I suspect. So probably. We could probably the, do that for a few weeks. The Jerry Anson Pidcast, I oh, obviously yes. has stuck yes, somewhat. Right. And, yes, uh, yes, that's right. Strange emphasis there. And, yes, uh, yes. Pod two four five. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we find out. Yeah. Who, is it? Is it all this sort of kept somewhere? Is it all our outtakes and so on? Is on it all the cutting kept? room floor? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's sort of digital, isn't it? We've got every every single <gasps> full recording that you and I have done since Pod seventy ish. Right. We've got both sides. All, all the all the you know warts and all. Everything right. before that, I discarded. I think. But, ah, um, right. What well, even what I said about Chris Dale. Uh, which 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 one? Which thing? I mean, oh, there's gosh. so many. Well, yes, it's true. I do go on a bit about him, don't I? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. let's oh, keep those for our private time. Okay, uh, fine. I am Jamie Anderson. Yes, and I am Richard James. And who's that waiting in the wings? Well, that must be the aforementioned Chris Dale. Goodness me. Well, between the three of us, we like mm. to come here every week and bring you about 90 minutes of Jerry mm. Anderson stuff. Yeah. That means we discuss everything from, well, Thunderbirds, obviously, to yep. Terror Hawks and Space yep. 1999 to Space Precinct. But yeah. we even touch on the things that didn't really make it, like Five Star Five or yeah. even Candy and Andy. <laughs> even Candy and Andy occasionally. And if you know what Candy and Andy is, then... <laughs> this is the place for you. You're in the right place, yes. <laughs> But alongside all those things, and yeah. Chris Dale's randomizer, which will bring oh, us to the yeah. end of the episode. Yes, yes. Most people look forward to immensely. Of course. There are other immensely entertaining elements. Um, okay. Yeah, I'll go with that. Richard, would yes. you like to sell well, those to our dear listeners now? In ascending order. Of what? Of, of entertainment value. Uh, mm, rude. I know where you're <laughs> going with that. Okay, no, I'll do it chronologically then. Coming up in a moment, we've got Fab Facts, of course. Yes. Okay, I'll say nothing about that. No, it's just not. You know, it is. It does what it says on the tin. <sighs> uh, we've then got some Jerry Anderson newsy news, 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 because as we know, Jamie, there's always something happening in the Jerry Anderson universe. Uh, this is all true. Uh, and then we've got the third and final part of our archive interview with Keith Shackleton. Oh, goodness Food. me. Sorry. Shackleton. Shackleton. I was right first time. Yes, you corrected See, yourself I, I told incorrectly. You last week, I have to struggle for that. And I do apologise. And then we've got the randomizer, but in between, above and beyond and below, and throughout all of this, I have a little sprinkling of communications from our wonderful podstrons. That's you at home. Yes, you. You've been emailing us at podcast at jerryanderson.com. You've been posting on our Facebook group. And for this week, 
you've been commenting on our YouTube channel, which now has... Jamie, do you know how many subscribers the official Jerry Anderson YouTube channel now has? Uh, off the top of my head, I'm going to say 65,612. Oh. Is you, that, did, you did know, didn't you? Is that right? Well, yeah. Hey! <laughs> okay. Well, well I mean, no, yes. I do look at it from time to time. Of course you do. Yeah. Pretty impressive, though, isn't it? I, so, I uh, think that's rather lovely. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so I'll be looking at some comments below, some recent videos and uh, podcasts and so on, and see um, yeah, see what people make of us. It's, it's actually just gone up to 65,774. Oh, right. Right. Does it ever go down? Uh, occasionally, yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Right. We don't, won't talk about that. Yeah. Did you have to mention that? Sorry. Sort of spoil the vibe now. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <clears throat> anyway, uh, would you like. A fab yeah. fact to uh, bring you back to the land of happiness. Um, okay. Good, because we're doing it anyway. Here's oh. this week's fab fact. Hooray! Now, time for this week's fab facts. Fab facts, mm. which we're going to deliver with extreme efficiency. Oh, yes, good, right. Book Speed, fab you facts. Go on, get on with it. Quick, you quick, shout, quick. fab. Yeah. Here comes the flick. Fab. Very good. Yeah, yep. pretty efficient. Excellent era. Right. Richard? Yes? Did you know... Probably. ...that Space 19... All right. That Space 1999 <laughs> was filmed... Yeah. ...not on a moon base, but in right. fact, on Earth, in England... Right. ...at Pinewood Studios. And that's the end of this week's... <laughs> Absolutely right. No, there is no. more here. Well, Thank I, I you very so. much. Yeah. Uh, although we probably did just blow someone's mind with that information who thought it yeah. was genuinely filmed on the moon. Yeah. If that's you, email us, podcast at jerryanderson.com. Mm. If they let with, you out long enough to send an email. All right. Continuing with this trend of stating the obvious, it should also go without saying that in order to shoot the series, Martin Landau and Barbara Bain had to relocate with their young family from Beverly Hills to London. Right. That's, that's a bit of a commute otherwise, isn't it? You know, from LA well, over to well, London every day. Well, yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Anyway, this is getting, it will get better, all right? Just bear with me. <laughs> okay. Now, been, been saying that for 250 uh, podcasts. All right. Over the years, we haven't done 250, so it can't be that long. <laughs> the last 244, yes. You're such a stick. Uh, now, over the years, various, shall we say, unfortunate stories have circulated, um, right. along with lots of positive ones too. Yeah. Regarding the Landau's and their experiences working on Space 1999. Everything from Martin Landau's legitimate criticisms of the second season mm-hmm. to Barbara Bain being referred to in some quarters as Barbara Payne. Ooh, Ooh ouch. Careful now. Careful. However, mm-hmm. whatever issues they may or may not have had. Uh, or indeed indirectly caused during the production of Space 1999, their three and a bit years living in London seem to have been relatively happy. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah, good. Many contemporary interviews feature Martin or Barbara making some mention of how much they enjoy the British way of life. Ah, the Uh, British way of life. Absolutely everything from the friendly atmosphere. Friendly atmosphere, yes. Try that again. Everything from the friendly atmosphere of a British pub... A British pub, yes. To an overall respect for their privacy. Ah, but not the food. No, not the food. Um, <laughs> but of course, privacy thing's important because they didn't always get that privacy in the US. Uh, yeah. The US being the home of kind of um, perhaps more invasive entertainment Certainly media, then. shall we say? Yeah. 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 Now, one little incident that did cause problems, however, was on a, a day when one of their daughters brought her first boyfriend home. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. This occurred during production of The Full Circle, which, for those who don't remember, uh, is the first season episode where Koenig and Dr. Russell and others are turned into cave people. Uh, Right, yes, yes, right. Uh, Unbeknownst to the young couple, Barbara Bain had gone home during a break in filming, still in her cave woman makeup. To practice, really? hang on, it gets better. <laughs> she went home in her cavewoman makeup to practice roaring like an angry cavewoman <laughs> in why, private. Why would you have to wear makeup to practice roaring? They were filming and she'd just gone back without taking it off. Anyway, she was <sighs> practicing roaring like an angry cave person right. in private, which she's still doing when her daughter and said daughter's boyfriend walked into the house. I mean, this sounds more like a fab or fib, doesn't it? It's a, it's a fab fact, I'll have you know. Uh, allegedly, Barbara says that she still has not been forgiven for this right. incident. Sure, yeah. Now, we are not sure which of their two daughters this refers to. Some accounts say it was the older daughter, Susan. Others, obviously, the younger daughter, Juliet. Mm. Both daughters later moved into the film industry, with Susan working as a producer, writer, director, and Juliet as an actress. Mm. In fact, one of Juliet's most famous characters, the vampire Drusilla in the TV series Buffy the Vampire Slayer, spoke with an English accent. Oh, right. Okay. Are we saying that her years living in London while her parents worked on Space 1999 helped influence her Buffy performance in some way? Uh, Are we saying that? No. No. No, but we (laughs) have to imagine it certainly couldn't have hurt. Right. So there we go. Do, do we believe this uh, angry cave woman no, roaring? Ju- not really. Wait, hang on. Don't be so <laughs> instant to judge. It could be uh, true. It could be true. I mean, it's a bit like when I wore Enil Kamada's uh, contact lenses on the tube. Well, there you that's, go. That's the closest I've got. Yeah, but it wasn't full makeup. No, but, you know, you would have had your big head on, wouldn't you? I would, Kamada, yes. Whereas I, I'm guessing odd. with for Barbara, it was just, you but, know... Uh, some Long, dirty makeup. Hair. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So okay. I, I think it's possible. Uh, so uh, what I'm struggling with there, Jamie, if you don't yeah. mind me saying. So she went home from Pinewood. Yeah. Well, they were living in central London. Shoot, one would assume. Well, I, d- I don't know if they were central London. I, well, I think they were, you know, like zone five or something. What, Slough or something? Probably, yes. But even then, yes. she got a car in full makeup. Yeah. And drove home Probably would have been makeup. driven was driven home in full makeup yeah. to practice roaring what in her lunch break or something yeah uh, okay. uh, look, all right well we're not gonna push the veracity of this too much no, i mean i wouldn't no. it's a fun story it is <laughs> but you think it's it's not a fab fact and it's mean, a hey, fib fact who am i to say Okay, well, let's not go any further on this. Potterons, if you have any backup information on this, perhaps an interview segment where Barbara mentions it, that would be really useful, just so we can rub Richard's nose in it. Uh, But until next time, before this gets tested any further, that's the end (laughs) of this week's Cave Fact! Oh, I went cave, 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 cave person, cave man, cave woman fact. Well, it's a fib fact in my Oh, books. let's move on. All right, let's move on to our email bag. People have been sending in emails, of course, to podcast at jerryanderson.com. Again, a little light on the ground. But luckily, one of them's very long indeed, and this is from Willow, who says, Last week, AC, that's Andrew Clements and I, had great fun collaborating on a quiz round for the Potter's Arms Zoom. Uh, we thought it might be fun for Richard to test Jamie on a few of the questions and oh, for the Potsdrons to play along at home. I think that's a great idea as well. This is the It Happened in the Comics round. Oh, where we t- 
Yep, we we tell you a brief description of something that happened in the comics, and you have to guess if it really did happen or if we made it up. So, true or false, essentially. I've got no chance of this. Good. Right, here we are. So, it happened in the comics. Steve Zodiac gets into a fist fight with Robert the Robot at the work Christmas party. True or false? False. True. Lieutenant Green accepts a temporary promotion to Colonel in order to take command of Cloudbase in Colonel White's absence. True or false? It is false. Gordon makes his movie debut as a vampire in a horror movie. True or false? What? Yeah, come on. True. It is true. The Stingray crew get a doll sent to them for nefarious reasons, but in the end, they decide to keep it as a ship's mascot. Oh, so weird. Uh, it's so weird that it has to be. True. It is true. World oh. War Three was started because of a badly aimed golf ball. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm going to say false. That's true. No. A TV company decides to film a, bio- a biopic documentary on the life and career of Jeff Tracy, astronaut and philanthropist. Everything is going fine until they have to try to launch Thunderbird 3 with a film crew on the island. True or false? Oh, that seems so specific. I want to yes. say true. Well, it's false. Oh, made up. what? Completely made up. Uh, <sighs> finally, for now, we'll come back to a few others uh, as we go along. Captain Scarlet is charged with protecting a prince, and to do that, he must drive an SPC in a rally race. <sighs> true or false? I mean, I might as well mm-hmm. just flip a coin at this stage. You might as well say, False. Yeah. It's true. There you go. Great fun, Willow. Thanks for sending those in. Uh, well, I'll come back to those. We're about halfway through, and I suspect that uh, we'd all like to hear you fail miserably a little later on in the podcast. Well, as well, everyone's Jamie. aim for me. Thank yeah, you. That's right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the only other email we've received this week, Jamie, is from Simpsons Clips 24. Very good. Hello, Rich and Jamie. Simpsons Clips 24 here. So, I was reading Jerry's autobiography, What Made Thunderbirds Go, when something caught my scientific eye. Pardon the niche pun, he says. Uh, Apparently, the rank organisation had asked Jerry to design a theme park in the south of France, with the standout landmark being a giant telescope, Jerry's equivalent of the famous Disneyland castle, and attractions based on the undersea world of Jacques Cousteau and the Supermarination shows, amongst other things. It would seem that Disney weren't the first people to think of a theme park in France. Were you aware of this, Jamie? And can you tell me any more? S.I.G. Simpsons Clips 24. Uh, hmm... No. No, you weren't aware. <laughs> and you can't tell us anymore. <laughs> Sorry, no. Uh, it goes outside of the realms of the stuff I am uh, aware what, of. What a shame, though. That, I mean, it sounds like an almost happened, doesn't it? Or a could have happened. And, you know, you can imagine if such a thing had happened back in the day, it might well have survived, even, you know, to present day, and we would be taking our holidays in Anderson World, Paris. Anderland. It could have been yes, amazing. Imagine that. Yeah, yeah. Sadly not to be. Yeah, but there we are. So, uh, uh, let's do send in your emails. It doesn't matter. Sometimes you have a bumper crop. Sometimes you just have a dribble. That's absolutely fine. Uh, but send them in anyway to podcast at jerryanderson.com. And whatever we get, I'll read about next time. I do wish you wouldn't describe it as a dribble. <laughs> you know what I mean, though. Yeah. And I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that. It's fine. Just be, just be satisfied just be... with what you get given. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. That's how I was brought up. Good. Uh, Shall we move on? I feel like let's we're going on. down an awkward... Dribbly path here. Go on then. Um, Jerry Anson News? Yeah! Alright then, off we go. Jerry Anson News. It's the Jerry Anderson News 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 News. Very good. Thanks. Uh, short and sweet this Always. week. 
Oh, oh, I've gone then, yes. In recognition of the fine work of author, actor, playwright, podcast co-host, and all-round jolly nice fellow, Richard James. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And his upcoming Five Star Five <gasps> release. Imagine that. The Doomsday Device. Ooh. Yes. Yeah. Mm. We're putting together some content around the Lost Worlds because oh, yeah. there's lots of stuff like the... <sighs> I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> that was Eric vomiting in the background. Thank you, Eric. Um, Everyone's a critic. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Yes, The Lost Worlds, uh, Space Police, um, Into Infinity, um, Intergalactic Rescue 4, Five Star oh, yeah. 5, all those things. Yeah. So we put a uh, Lost Worlds combination primer onto YouTube so you can enjoy See. that. Now, as I've mentioned, uh, The Doomsday Device, Richard's upcoming <laughs> book, for which you can read an interview all about it on oh, the yes. Jerry website. Yes. If you have pre-ordered it, it will be shipping uh, very, very soon from around the 28th. Oh, great. Um, it's a limited hardback run in the first instance. And once that is sold out, it's sold out. So if you're looking mm. to add it to your copy of the first Five Star Five book, John mm-hmm. Lovell and the Zargon Threat. Mm-hmm. Is that right? That's it. Yeah. Good. Good. Uh, then make sure you do that because it will be gone before too long. I think they'll look very handsome on the shelf together. If Absolutely, so. they do. Another lovely cover from uh, Marcus Stamps as well. Yes, thanks, Beautiful. Marcus. Beautiful yeah. work from him. Now, of course, uh, it's not the only book that's out this month. And this coming Friday, the 24th, we'll be launching the pre-order for the Space 1999 Selected Remastered Comics to oh, everything that was. I see. It's a lovely, lovely thing. Uh, previously published by uh, Blam Ventures about 10 years ago. Um, oh. Now available once again due to popular demand with additional content, new cover, all sorts of extra bits and pieces in there. Lovely. More details to follow. There'll be a live stream later this week for you to get some more info. So um, great. watch that and find out more very, very soon. Yeah, lovely. And in the meantime, don't forget there's uh, bundles of all sorts of stuff, including audio dramas and books, so that you can build your Anderson library. Mm-hmm. And we've got all sorts of other goodies in the pipeline. Some new things to be uh, launched and announced in the coming weeks. But we have lots and lots of stuff we're working on in the background. So stand As by. As ever. Yeah. Absolutely stand by for more action. Mm-hmm. But that's it for this week's Short and Sweet Jerry Anderson News. That was the news, short and sweet news. I was hoping you'd deliver it in that of way. Course. That's rather lovely. Yeah, short and sweet's good. Don't mind a bit of that occasionally. Oh, Because yeah. sometimes you don't half go on with your oh, news. Oh, I know. I bore myself. So much news. Uh, now, let's uh, talk into comics, and we were a moment ago in the news there. Let's go back to the It Happened in the Comics round. Mm. Oh, no. Uh, from the hard. recent <laughs> Podders Arms Zoom. Zoom, this is uh, courtesy of Willow and AC. So, which of the following things did actually happen in the comics, Jamie? Jeff Tracy attends a costume party hosted by Lady Penelope dressed in an international rescue uniform. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you... I mean, he would, wouldn't he? But did it happen? False. True or false? No, it's true. Oh, what? Yeah. Uh, The Mysterons raise the giant from the giant's causeway. Ooh. True or false? Oh, false. No, that's true. What? Come on. Uh, Space City Control Tower is the victim of a sabotage attempt that makes it start spinning at four times its normal speed and poor Lieutenant 90 is sick on his desk. False. True or false? That is false. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, They wouldn't have death. It was the sick that gave it away, I thought. That's it, yeah. John and Brains take some kids aboard Thunderbird 5 for a visit. Ooh. True or false? It should be false, but it's probably true. It is true. Captain Black rides a dolphin. 
<laughs> no, I think that is true. It, it is true. Yes. Okay, do you want a couple more? Four. Uh, okay, two Here more. Here we go. The mole attempts to drill through into an underground laboratory to free the trapped scientists, but the outer shell of the lab is made of cahelium, the same substance as the mole's drill. The drill cannot puncture through, the result of which is the body of the mole spinning wildly out of control. True or false? Or... It could be true, but I'm going to say false. It is false. Oh. Uh, the international rescue team mobilise, rushing off to saving a, uh, to save a number of Egyptian mummies. True or false? Oh, it, that one seems so ridiculous, it's probably true. It is true, yeah. And here's yeah. the final one for you. Then, during a mission, Oink is separated from the crew of Stingray and is picked up by a group of environmental activists who decide to use him as the face of their latest clean water campaign. It's up to Commander Shaw to get him back. No, false. Oh, yeah, well, you're adamant about that, and you're right. Yeah, yeah. completely made up. Yeah, false uh, as only, false can Only be. because in, I reckon, 1964, TV21, you wouldn't have had environmental activists sure. picking up uh, no. uh, no. a, a oink. <laughs> That's true. They'd probably be go. more likely to kill him and create <laughs> yes. a sort of little uh, oinky little rug. rug. Yeah. 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 Oh, why didn't you try selling that in the Jerry Anderson store? <laughs> I've seen your, your Space 1999 blanket. Uh, Brilliant. Okay, yeah. Oink rug to follow soon. Ah, I mean, that sounds lovely. Okay, great. There you go. Now, a little later on, I'll be heading over to our Facebook group uh, to read out what people have been posting there. Uh, but that's all for now from me. Is it? Yeah. Sorry, you surprised me. The way you said that, I was like, and there's one more thing, but no, no. that's it. Okay. Well, Just one more thing. Let's, no, let's, no. Thanks, Podly. Uh, in which case... <laughs> it was meant to be Columbo, but let, yes. Oh, sorry. I see your point. Uh, Podlumbo. Um, good. <laughs> let's move on, because we've got yeah. uh, the third part of our interview Great. with Keith Shackleton. Not Lovely. Ted Shackleford or Keith no. Shackleford no. or Tun, Ted Shackleton. No, no it's I don't know. Keith Shackleton, Shackleton. of Century 21 fame, um, responsible for, well... TV Century 21, the, the comic, which so many of you we know uh, know and love, and the merchandising empire and all sorts of stuff. So this is the last part of that archive interview, um, and we can't wait to hear the conclusion. So here he is, Keith Shackleton, part three. Were you aware of AIDS when you were young there? Were you aware of who, um, when the relapse of Thunderbirds was taken in the early 90s? Did that come from more merchandising? Oh, yes. We actually pitched for it. Sylvia and I had a meeting with the president of ITC, I can't think of his name now, he looks a bit like Robin Williams, and we went, we had an hour, a long session with him and gave him every good reason why we were the company to, to handle the, the merchandising the second time round. And after an hour, I said to Sylvia, I think we've, you know, we've spent enough time with Mr. <laughs> Robin Williams. Now, well, uh, now it's time to go. She, well, I said, we, so we left, because we'd come to the point where I realized we weren't going to get it. Um, he just wanted as much information about the background. So he eventually went to CPL, run by Richard Cully. Uh, huge success, which is fairly significant money for second time round. Did that happen again, a schedule for rewriting No, I, I would say if it'll be, I think view, view, the viewing figures will be good. Um, I think the time for another lot of merchandise is another five, ten years down the line. Too soon. You know, people are. You know, you, you can't go back and look the same car too so, too often, I think. I'd leave it for a few years. Why do you think, I mean, 30, 40 years on, why do you think these shows are still so popular? Because of their basic simplicity <laughs> and the simple storylines and, and message that comes across. They were not pretentious. They, they were all highly predictable. We all knew what was coming. 
but we wanted it to come. You know, we couldn't wait for it to happen. And uh, it was uh, wasn't contrived. It was. Um, it, I mean, it just real life, wasn't it? It was schoolboy dreams. It, uh, it was. It was the train set of the sixties. It was. Uh, it was. It was magic. It was magic. They're still popular with children today, but I mean, why do you think with all the sophisticated computer technology that's available, and why are they still interested in puppetry? Well, I think it's because I think they've got dimension. I think some of the computer technology is very flat. Uh, I know it's being developed and it's coming on now, but there's a certain sort of freestyle about Thunderbirds which is not uh, available through computer technology. Computer technology is very tight, very formal, whereas Thunderbirds was shot as live action. And we, we treated them as real characters. I mean, they didn't have to sign any pieces of paper or throw tantrums, but you know, they, they, were, they were characters, and they were directed and uh, handled as like real people. And uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that, to me, is the charm and magic of them. Let's go back to a personal uh, thing of Jerry. When Jerry met uh, Mary, who's now was yeah. his wife. At the time, I had a wonderful secretary, Julie Watts. She'd come from the BBC, and she was an incredible person. She went on to become a, a film, not a director, a film director, but a director of the company, the Alan Ladd Film Company. So she, I think, just about left me or leaving at the time. So there was an opportunity. And I'd met Mary, I think, at Bray Studios. She was working in a production office in Bray. And I, she was, uh, she had um, presence and charm. So, yes, I interviewed Mary and uh, worked for us for, for some years. Jerry married her. And I was at the wedding, and uh, we went to the pub at Hurley, or was it? Uh, just on the Thames, I can remember it now. We had a jolly nice time. And uh, I think they're happily married and living in somewhere in Henley with a little boy called James. And, uh, Did Jerry sort of cajole you into interviewing her to help him out? Well, Jerry didn't have to cajole, cajole me, because we were sufficiently, we had a sufficient rapport for me to understand, I don't like being cajoled anyway. Um, I, I normally bridle and hack, you know, my hackles rise if I'm cajoled. Uh, that's why I say, uh, if um, I think I recognize the need and responded to it, and uh, why not? Is that life? <laughs> well, finally, if you could start so the euphoria those times when it was a real absolute payday, I mean, how did you spell it? Hold for Well, from a personal standpoint, uh, I really would say I, I've never had a happier time. I mean, I, that's not wholly true because my time from 75 onwards has been almost as euphoric because I've uh, been fortunate enough to be able to be selective about what I do or did. But the times in the 60s, in the 60s, we believed that everything was possible. And notwithstanding the you know, the difficulties of raising the money and, and so forth, but we would literally uh, we go and, but we would make things happen uh, marvellous time and it was a uh, there were five quite different people which I think is good you know because you have different philosophies different cultures uh, different language all coming together and I think the series is, is it was a, a product of, of those the different minds it was it was magic. I mean, Thunderbirds, if you mentioned Thunderbirds, it would open any door. It didn't matter where you went. 
you could you could say, well, I'm from the Thunderbird team, and they say, well, do come in, and it, so it was the password, the byword of the day, and uh, it's it, it's not too bad today actually. You can still use it. Uh, when um, Jerry, when uh, in between things, I think after he made UFO, um, he's married to the term of the world, something yeah. like that, and work dry up for him. What do you remember of his sort of downward path that he had at the time? Things were at the time. Well, they were obviously tough. I mean, I had tough years from uh, the early seventies. I put it down in, to my own decisions. So I uh, don't ask for any sympathy on that. Um, Jerry, uh, when you come off a high. It's very difficult to understand and accept that it's not continuing. So I think Jerry almost felt that there was a God-given right that he should go on at the same level he'd been enjoying. Uh, that was probably the time for taking a step back and taking stock and thinking, well, what, what has changed, what has happened, and so forth. So I think to some extent you know, that was part of the problem. And of course the early 70s, 74, was different, you know, we had inflation, oil prices went through the roof, the economy went uh, through the floor. So it was a difficult time, and people, I think, were being very cautious. Uh, so I think you had to be fairly, uh, I use the word again, nimble, to find a, a niche for yourself. And I think Jerry should have found a new niche for himself, which uh, I know he made, uh, he had a number of efforts, and he made some, he made... Uh, doppelganger I think in those days which uh, lovely concept uh, didn't uh, probably earn its call at the box office so uh, between, from 70 to 75 I used to see Jerry socially it was in 75 that we got together again and I say I, I found uh, the Century 21 that lapsed as a name and we picked it up again and ran with it Lou Grade had it but so when his empire went in 72 everything fell to the ground so we were surprised to find the name was still there, and we restarted. Jerry was on the board, very much passive, because he was involved in Space 1999, I think, at the time, which was probably part of his resurgence. And the first episode, the first series of Space 1999, I thought was pointing in the right direction. Then they brought some American influence on board, Fred, I can't think of his name now, producer, co-producer, and it didn't... It didn't develop its full potential, and therefore I think what might have happened with Space 1999 didn't happen. I mean, one of the things I did, I got hold of, um, I just heard a buzz that the, a book in the States called The Making of Star Trek had sold four million copies, which is not a copy. So I thought The Making of Space 1999. So I got hold of a guy called Tim Heald, who writes for the Telegraph and the uh, Radio Times. We got him down to the studio, had a splendid lunch and a chat, and we got him to write a uh, synopsis for a book called The Making of Space 1999. And I sold this on a one-page letter to a company in New York called Ballantines, who had published the, um, the Star Trek book. And they, we got a contract. And we got Tim to write the book. Uh, we got Reg Hill to design the cover. And we went to press. And we didn't sell 4 million copies. We sold 40,000 copies. And I would say that it was two, for two reasons. The, the design of the cover was wrong. The book cover was wrong. But the series didn't take off in the States. Uh, but it should have done. It, it had the makings of, um, of another Star Trek.
Um, well, again, I, I would have to put it down to Jerry and Sylvia. I mean, they, it was probably created in uh, pillow talk. It must have been. I mean, it was, it, it, it was their idea, and uh, it was a natural. I mean, and uh, they were playing themselves. Well, she, Sylvia was playing. I mean, it was, it was a natural. It grew out of. Um, uh, I mean, it had to be. She had to be created, didn't she? She was there waiting to be created. So the pair of them created her, and that, rightly so. So we saw Lady Penelope in herself, or whatever. Oh yes. Well, why not? Why not? I mean, that's why she's so successful, Lady Penelope, and indeed Sylvia. No, it was um, it was all tongue in cheek, wasn't it? I mean, it was, uh, but it was right. It was natural. It wasn't. Uh, it was spontaneous and uh, worked. Going back to Jerry's Oh, I was very much aware of it. He used to come into my office, uh, just opposite the post room here in Pinewood, and uh, he'd say, are you busy, Keith? I said, well, as a shareholder of the company, Jerry, you'd want me to say yes, and indeed I am very busy, <laughs> but do sit down. Um, he wasn't involved on a day-to-day basis because uh, it wasn't his. Uh, it wasn't his scene. I used to wheel him in as as required, as it were. So, he, but I used to sit and uh, listen with great sadness to his his predicament. And I did try and put Humpty Dumpty back together again, but that's Jerry and Sylvia. But uh, you can't. It was not possible. Um, so I had a great. Uh, he used to come to our place because uh, we used to live in Farnham Common at the time, um, looking a bit forlorn. And his joy was uh, a simple bowl of soup with our family. You know, it was. Uh, uh, we used to spend time together. And then he, um, he, I think he was living up in. He was living in Farnham Common at the time. I had a small flat there. It must have been hell. It must have been hell, because the, you know, if you've been up there, and then you've got to accept the fact that nobody really wants to talk to you anymore. Why? What have I done? Is it, uh, do I deserve this? So it's, uh, I used to hold his hand and think back to our times together in the Air Force. It's, uh, Is it good to see him getting back on his feet again? Well, yes. Uh, I, I, I applaud you know, what's happened. Um, it's, uh, I'd like to see an acknowledgement of uh, where it comes from. No, I'm delighted. Whatever success he has, I hope he enjoys it. I, I hope he's happy in doing it. That's, uh, that's the important thing. That's the important thing. Are you glad to be associated with it? Well, I said before, uh, I wouldn't have missed the 60s uh, for, for anything. You know? I mean, I took this crazy decision in, in 1960, and I we had one or two or three kids, I don't know, and mortgage and all the other accoutrements of marriage and domestic life. Because um, I was brought up that you, you, know, you had a a job for life and a pension after. That was the uh, the way I was brought up. And, uh, to take this step into the unknown with a film company. And, uh, so, But the answer is emphatically yes, it was marvellous. And uh, I think I had some part to play in its success and uh, what we were about. I'd, I'd, put, I'd put the positive spin on it. If we'd kept together, I think we could have, we could have regrouped and formed a... An ent- I won't say an entertainment empire because that sounds too grand. It could still be going today, and that was my dream. And that's uh, the regret I have is that that is not still there today because it could have been. 
it should have been and could have been. And for reasons, for things that happened in the late 60s, uh, it, it, it's not. But uh, I'm a romantic at heart, you see. Who benefited the most? I mean, where did the proceeds go as a general? Well, when, uh, when we became part of ATV, we had, uh, all had service agreements and we had a profit share arrangement. The, the, the cream, the, the, the biggest share, naturally, properly, went to Jerry and Sylvia. Because it was their brainchild. I mean, that's right and proper. And then uh, probably next in ranking would be, not probably, certainly next in ranking would be John, uh, John Reed and Reg Hill. And then because I was the latest, uh, last to join the group, uh, there was Keith Shackleton. Uh, but I, I had no problem with that because uh, unto Caesar that which is due to Caesar, and um, that's right and proper. And if we'd kept that going, it's still around today. Did everybody become fabulously wealthy? Nobody came fabulously wealthy. I think that's a myth. Uh, nobody was uh, short of a penny or two. Um, somebody, somebody squandered their birthright. Somebody made bad investments. Uh, but I think everybody associated with those times uh, has had a full and rich career. Uh, I certainly have. And I'm living now in Beaconsfield, and my children have all done jolly well, and I'm still married to the wife I married 45 years ago. Uh, you know, it's, uh, and I've got a nice house and a couple of nice cars, uh, but I'm not fabulously wealthy. I'm, uh, but I don't have to worry about uh, tomorrow's penny. And uh, why should one when you reach the age of whatever it is? <laughs> Just touched on uh, Lou Grade, yeah. uh, Thunderbirds. Uh, he made so many correct decisions about his career. Was that one he really got wrong? Against uh, our particular picture, yes. Uh, certainly, if you look at the fortunes of ATV themselves, I think it probably was significant because uh, they started going off into independent film production, and I think that's what brought them down. Um, the Century 21 uh, empire at, you know, at one time was a cash cow. It was generating you know, significant sums of money. I used to go into the grade. I used to see him once a month or every two months. And two and a half minutes was the maximum time he'd give you, which is marvellous. The only mistake I ever made with him was accepting one of his cigars. But I think you know, cigars being offered are for accepting, so I accepted the cigar. And we gave him, he used to go in once a year on budget. What's the budget? What's the price? So I said, there are the figures. And he said, well, knowing you, Keith, I'm going to double it. I said, Lou, well, that's your figure, not mine. Because, you know, why, you know, I've made a logical, to me, sensible projection, but double it. And uh, immediately you're challenged. But we performed extraordinarily well. I say we did have a, we had one very lean year with the toy company. He used a lot of money. Uh, at the time, I took responsibility for it. In retrospect, I think there are others equally uh, culpable, but uh, no, that's never. I think I think there's reference to it in the book. Oh. There you go. What a lovely thing to have for us all to listen to, yeah, and that's uh, great, yeah. great stories, nice. and uh, yeah, great storyteller, Keith. Mm. So um, yeah, yes, thank you to John Huff and family for allowing us to access that fantastic interview. And uh, I'm sure we'll have some more interesting archive interviews coming up in the next few months. Lovely. Who have we got next week, then? I don't can't know, do tell you right now. Sorry. You don't know. No, no, I don't, I don't know. Fair enough. Uh, now, over on our Facebook group, that's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash 
Podstrums? Well done, yes. Oh. Uh-huh. Phil Markham posted uh, finishing my rewatch of The Secret Service with possibly one of uh, my all-time favourite Anderson episodes. More haste, less speed. Well, interesting. Favourite of all the Anderson episodes. That's lovely. Uh, Mark Perkins says, yes, it's a classic episode. You're absolutely right. Secret Service was my lockdown discovery. Uh, Buffalo's Holt does it for me. Supermarination meets Ealing comedy. Oh, that sounds perfect, doesn't it? Good uh, com- combo, yeah. Yeah, Mark Perkins says, as a fan of Secret Service, I was just rereading the short-lived comic strip in an early copy of Countdown, and I thought I'd share some page scans, which he does on the Facebook group. He says the TV series never touches on how Father Unwin became a secret agent or how he came into possession of the Minimizer, which I always thought was a missed opportunity for the first episode, or perhaps in a flashback sequence. Maybe in the episodes that were planned but never made, they would have addressed this. There are a few inconsistencies here, but still a great origin story. There's no Unwinnie's dialogue, though, and I'm not sure if the comic strip ever did feature it. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's a tricky one to translate into comic, isn't it? Because you yeah, think, I are these so, typos? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. We've talked before, haven't we, about whether it's a good thing to dive straight into a series or sort of start with a, a, a set-up episode, mm. which which they could have done there to show how Father Unwin became a secret agent and came into possession of the Minimizer and so on. But they just sort of decided to hit the ground running, which is, uh, you know, also a valid thing to do. Absolutely. There's, there's no right way to get into a series. No. Uh, Philip Murphy posted, watching the Bond movie Thunderball on ITV4, and I never noticed before, but when the Disco Volante, which is, uh, I think, Largo's ship, uh, splits at the, towards the end of the film into two, it sounds very like Thunderbird 2. Uh, and there followed a discussion about the sort of the bank of sound effects that were available at the time that would have been used by people like the Bond movies and by... Uh, by your dad and so on in his in his shows mm. so there's like a collection of, of effects that you would hear yeah. across various productions well there were several libraries that were used by a lot of people and then even mm. dad and I think David Elliott set up a, mm. a, a library called Sound FX E-double-F-E-X ah. uh, limited and they had their own uh, collection nice. there so yeah, it's not surprising you've, you've heard those sounds. No, sure. Uh, Hannah, <laughs> this is rather nice. Uh, I recently had a sort of Anderson-related dream, says Hannah. I was drawing, which she does a lot of, and we like seeing the end product, uh, what I think must have been Stingray on my sketchbook, when I sensed someone was behind me. And I called out, hi, Troy. And yes, it was Troy Tempest. He asked me, how did you know I was here? And I replied, I saw your reflection in the window. And Hannah says, I'm now drawing in my dreams in the Anderverse. Wow. <laughs> That's niche. nice, isn't it? Yeah, very niche. Uh, Robert Cassidy found a nice link to an online article. This features uh, Hammer, or rather Hamaka Schlemmer, which is a US catalogue company that I've obviously never heard of. No, nor me. No, but they've recently listed a flying hovercraft for purchase. Mm. The company claims that the craft can not only hover over land and water, but that it can fly through the air at impressive speeds. A flying hovercraft may sound like something out of a comic book, but it's a real product with some unique and noteworthy features. And Robert posted a link to it with a photograph as well, and obviously commented, Supercar! Of course. And yes, there it is. IRL, as they say. IRL indeed. Yeah, great. There you go. So uh, if you're after a bit of fun, or you just want to hang out with a group of like-minded people, then pop over to our Facebook group, answer a few questions, and join in the fun. Uh, they'll be very happy for you to join them, I'm oh, sure. Oh, yes, they certainly will. They'll give you a nice warm welcome, too. Lovely. Yeah. Uh, speaking of warm welcomes, I think yeah. we should give one to Chris Dale, don't you? Oh, I absolutely think we should, yes. Good. Well, I'm sure all the podcasters will join us in doing so. Chris is here with his randomizer to give us a random episode of a random Jerry Anson show and watch it along with you and say some things about it which you might enjoy or even find funny. 
Okay, that's it, is it? Good, yeah. Simple as that. Great. Over to you, Chris. Good luck doing those things. Oh, hello, everyone. Uh, Sorry, no time for a big introduction today, as we've already made today's selection, and it's the something of destruction. What was it again, Carson? The seed. Ah, yes, that's it. Thank you. Here's Space 1999. So, it's time to welcome back to the randomizer the second series of Space 1999. And we're straight in with the status report. Let's see what's going on here. We've encountered a bizarre Jew-like asteroid. Our central computer is unable to give even a preliminary analysis. So we're going to leave it alone. Under John Koenig and Chief Eagle Pilot Alan Carter are carrying out a close reconnaissance. Hmm. Well, that was an odd shot of the eagle there passing by the camera because I think it was meant to be the eagle leaving the moon, but that looked like a totally different moon. Field of great magnitude. Of the normal, if anything, it looked almost like... I think there was... If you go on the Catacombs website, uh, which I thoroughly recommend you do if you're any sort of Space 1999 th- fan, because it's a, a thoroughly indispensable resource, there's footage, unused footage from Breakaway, of the first episode, where it looked like they used actual NASA footage of the real moon. That looked like something similar. It looked totally unlike the regular moon. If it was meant to be the moon, if it was meant to be the asteroid, then fine, but it looked like they were going away from it. Anywho, the Alphans, having found a suspicious asteroid thingy, they're not going to leave it alone, because why would they? It's not like uh, investigating asteroids has yielded anything uh, anything bad before. <coughs> Ballot. <coughs> Ballot. <coughs> and naturally, we're sending the commander, and of course, Alan. And no one else. Because why would we need any scientists here? It's fine. Looks like ice. Yeah, but the surface temperature's warm. Hmm, and there's an atmosphere as well by the look of it. Strange for an asteroid. Oh no. There's a malfunction thing here going bloopy. It's in the stabilizers. Oh dear. You have one. I'm gonna have a look around. Hmm. So I get the whole day to myself. I do like the lighting here. It's, it's such a small thing, but just as uh, Koenig and Carter are looking out at the asteroid from the Eagle Door, just the blue light radiating onto the actors, it does. it's a small thing, but it does so much to make this seem more like a real place. So with Alan left behind on the Eagle by himself, Koenig is going to investigate this mysterious cave. I found some sort of cave entrance. Mm. Well, do you want to wait till I catch up with you? No, I'm going in. Alone. Uh, unarmed. I think it's best. Okay. I'm sure nothing will go wrong. Yes, we are now exploring the cave of the unknown. I also like with this show, and it's it's a common thing with sci-fi shows, but I've noticed it particular with this when things are described as some sort of, which you can understand for the most part, but it's like some sort of cave. It's like, well, generally a cave is a cave, but this is a very special cave. It has strange noises, reflective surfaces, in which the commander is seeing his reflection. Yes, we're not even sure which Koenig is the real Koenig here. It's all very mysterious. What's it like in there, John? I'm lost. Leave this place. It's like a vast hall of mirrors. I'm having so much fun. The cop is God, I'm glad I'm the commander and I get to decide who goes on landing party missions. It's just, it's just the best. I mentioned. Have you located the malfunction? I'm still working on it. All right, keep trying. Nick Tate's really doing his best with a a pen tied to a cable and a really fiddly little sheet of metal. Ah, oh dear. 
Yeah, I, I don't understand why none of the science-y type people on Alpha would want to come out here. Just Koenig. But this is quite clever. He reacts to something, turns to face his own reflection, and then as he turns away from that reflection, the reflection does not move with him. And instead it smiles an evil smile and steps out of the mirror. <laughs> and obviously, you know, it's, it's Martin Landau reacting to his own double, but it is, it's a fairly effective teaser. You know, aside from the fact that we've put the commander in, in a very dangerous situation all by himself yet again. And uh, as the credits roll by here, it's probably a good time to mention this episode is written by... Um, come on, where's your name? No, not you. Next name, please. No, not you either. Next name, come on. No, not you. Nearly there. One more name. Come on. I know who these people are. Yeah, writer John Goldsmith. And uh, I mention that because I've be uh, this is the only 1999 episode that he, he wrote. And I've become aware recently. It's quite interesting. Looking through the lists of episodes, whether it's this show or... I think Captain Scarlet is another good one to look at. There are several writers on shows where... They only contribute one script. And in the case of some writers on Captain Scarlet, their their IMDb has just one sole credit, and it's that episode, which I find fascinating, is why why did they only get to do the one? Was there just you know, not enough slots, or was there one episode considered such a disaster that uh, they couldn't be invited back? Anywho, we now have our imposter Koenig. He's, he's done a bit of a Vulcan neck pinch and uh, knocked out the real Koenig. Oh, what's he going to do? Take off a piece of rock, put it in Koenig's tiny little sample case, which it really isn't designed to hold that much stuff. <laughs> in fact, Landau tried to close the lid of the box there, and it just popped open. Helen? Yes, John? I have a sample of the rock. I want to take off immediately. Oh. I haven't quite finished adjusting the stabilizers yet. Five minutes. And of course, we should establish right now that this doppelganger, the evil Koenig, is the mirror reflection, so all the lettering and numbering on his jacket is backwards. He's just realised that, and he's going to swap it for the, uh, the real Koenig's actual jacket. And, um, well, there's one other crucial difference in his physical appearance. Commander says he wants out of here now. Hmm. A few minutes aren't going to make any difference. One minute. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he's going to have found some hostile danger in the cave. I mean, he's, he's fine. Yep, there he is. Alan's accepted him as the real thing. It's all down to the jacket, you see. Clothes maketh the commander. I'm getting some strange readings. So are we. This whole asteroid is one strange reading. Hmm. Oh, well, that told you. Ready for liftoff? Well, I still haven't managed to correct the malfunction on the stabilizers. Did... He's fiddled and twiddled with everything that can be fiddled and twiddled with. Oh, what do you know? Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I love that on this show when, when unexpected faults suddenly clear themselves, and instead of thinking, oh, maybe we should check a bit further, maybe we should replace that possibly defective component, they're like, nah, take off, it's fine. I think Collision Course is one where Paul says, oh, we've got multiple alarm lights. I say we ignore them. Yes, good stuff. Anyway. I can't make anything of these. They're in the eagle's taken off. Why was the commander in such a hurry? Hmm. We'll know in a moment. He's in the travel tube now. Well, no, he's not, because the real Koenig is left behind on the asteroid. This is phony Koenig. Take this to the observation room. Don't let it out of your sight. Oh, that's great fun for that security guard. Joe. So, it's time to address the base. Attention all Alphans. This is the commander speaking. 
I've just returned from an exploratory trip to the asteroid. And oh, boy. And I must tell you, it poses a very serious threat to Alpha. Uh -huh. Presently, surrounded by a very strong energy screen, which, if we do not neutralize, will render all of our instruments totally useless. In order to escape from this force, we will create an energy beam. We will direct this beam at the asteroid, which is like a gigantic crystal. It will reflect the beam back, cutting through... Everyone on Alpha is watching. The time on that compost, I love looking at the clocks on the compost. One says 23.06 and the other is 12.01. We have an enormous task to achieve. They have multiple time zones on the base, do they? Sure. ...and support of all Alphans on Moon Base 2 complete this task and complete it successfully. Maybe it's base time and Earth time, possibly, I don't know. I like as well um, Landau's performance here as the doppelganger Koenig. It is, it's slightly nervous and slightly hesitant at points. The wording isn't quite the same as the real Koenig would use. And he's got a few um, concerned reactions there from various Alphans, including, and I think this is a nice touch with this episode. Um, John, creating this when everyone's having their dramatic close-ups, they they allow some of the extras to have close-ups in this episode as well. Glenda Allen uh, just got a, a bit of a close-up there. Koenig actually looked at her, and she looked at him, and it was like, oh, it's nice that they treat some of these um, regular extras as sort of almost recurring characters, at least for this episode. Another way of breaking through the screen without I've draining. already completed that analysis. I did all the science stuff. I had enough portable equipment with me. I had my little lunchbox thingy. I'm sorry, I don't want to argue with you. I'm not arguing, I'm being scientific. We lack vital information. Are you questioning mine? How can I question what I haven't got? And this is a nice, science officer. I am somewhat refreshing. To your quarters until further notice angle to the usual season two fair where i think perhaps unfairly people kind of think about the, the the relationships between the characters in the second year as a lot of you know forced smiling and everything's always happy jolly and it's nice to see some tension and some friction in this episode and all of the actors the regulars play this really well even though they're reacting to not the real koenig so you know if he was here, then none of this would be happening. But, oh, Maya has been banished. You don't go banishing the Maya. Job. And my job is to protect the safety of this base. Since you're incapable of doing that, Tony, apparently. None of us will survive without discipline. Hmm. That's what we need around here. All of you. Oh. So, something's not quite right there. Alan. And this also sets up a, an interesting angle as the other Alphans kind of... What happened on that asteroid? ...get to thinking, okay, something's happened, something's not quite right here. I remained on board the Eagle, we had a... And out of all of them, it's Alan who remains determined and loyal, absolutely loyal, to this man that he thinks is, is Koenig, who is a man who clearly he would lay down his life for. You know, some other danger inside those caves... And he doesn't want us to know about it, not yet anyway. And in the hands of a lesser actor, or a less likeable actor than Nick Tate, Alan might come off here as being kind of kind of dumb, but I think it's totally in keeping with the character, particularly if, if you choose to, as I don't always, but in this instance I, I might, think that the events of the first series happened in the second series continuity, at least in some form. Things like Collision Course, things like Black Sun, stuff that they'd gone through together over the years that forged this bond between these two men. I really like that part of it. 
I also think it was sad there, though, actually watching um, Helena and Tony and Alan having their chat there. Xenia Merton just manages to get into shot, and I. This is one of the first episodes she did when she came back to the series, and it just feels like. You know, she's back, but just barely. She's just barely one notch above those extras that I mentioned earlier. Oh, and poor Maya, stuck alone in her quarters. It's nice, actually. I think this is the only time we see inside her quarters. Oh, no, maybe in, in Dorzak as well. But she has a whole... A parley with a mutineer. A whole pile of jackets on the uh, the clothes rack behind her there. Why did the commander turn on me like that? Discipline, discipline, discipline. A throwback to Captain Bly. And Maya looks at him as if he's insane. Captain Bly. <laughs> Oh, forget it. How would you know? You're a psycho. But again, as much as I, I knock Tony, I don't knock Tony Anholt. I knock Tony Videshi. And I might not know anything about your... But this stuff is also brilliantly played as well. But I'm hypersensitive to all forms of living matter. Just lovely... It's nice, to, this, the stuff that Catherine is doing in particular, just this pain. The coldness. You know, she is wounded by what happened, but also she's still trying to rationalise it and work it out. I also, I'm looking at all the um, the uniforms on the, the rack behind her there, and I'm just thinking, well... He's keeping us in the dark. What happens to her uniform when she transforms? I know it's an old question, but... I don't know the results. All right, will you take it easy? Or you'll have a fit and turn into some wild creature from far out space. Uh-huh. And then where will your uniform be? I'm being serious. I also notice she's got some suitcases down there as well. There's a bright red suitcase and other things. What say we grab us an eagle? Go there, take a look for ourselves. Yeah, why not? Ooh, who's talking like a mutineer now? That's not mutiny, that's security, and that's me. Allegedly. <laughs> He's, it's, it's, when Tony talks about being head of security, it's almost like a, a little child who got a sticker at school for, for good work, you know? I was, I was the star of the day. <sighs> Talk like I've been drinking my own beer. Ooh. Things are that bad. Oh, she's got two red suitcases. Medically incompetent. C could I be declared medically incompetent? I. One way of finding out. Talk to Dr. Russell. Hmm. Or Dr. Matthias, or Dr. Vincent, or Dr. Spencer, or Dr. Nunez. Any other doctors we have hanging around the place. Oh, I like that shot. I really like that shot, actually. Koenig is in the, the all-purpose lab set that they had for Series 2, looking out of a window onto the lunar surface. And it's rare that we saw that kind of thing in the second series. Um, he's looking at some guys in spacesuits doing some, some work. We start running out of clean air, we're going to have a lot of sick people on our hands. Hmm. Dead ones, too. More trouble. Same trouble. I'm still security chief, allegedly. It, it scares me, too. Check out the rest of all life support systems, Ben. This is also actually another multi-purpose set. This life support center has also been previously, and I think will later be seen as the weapons section. I don't know why... No, the screen definitely says life support section. Time for some coffee. And some meaningful looks to go with that coffee. Go ahead, Tony. Okay, I'll lay it right on the line, Alana. I also like, and I don't know if it was directed or scripted or whatever... Can't While Helena and Tony are having this conversation, they're having it away from Dr. Vincent, but Jeffrey Kassoon is making sly glances every so often over his shoulder, as someone in that situation would, who is, he's not absolutely senior, but he is kind of up there. He wouldn't necessarily be in on this kind of talk, but yeah, this affects him as much as anyone else on the base. I think that's a very nice touch. Security is a joke. He's put a clamp on everything, everybody. That was the prime line just there. I'm sorry I waffled over it. My being head of security is a joke. Let's hear it again. My being head of security is a joke, right? Right. right. If you had your way, what would you do? 
grab an eagle and try to find out what happened on that asteroid. Hmm. Maya thinks that perhaps the crystal has the answer, that maybe it has some control over John. If we could prove that, he could be declared medically incompetent. I mean, you did it to me that time, remember? Can't prove that. If John is perfectly rational, doing what he's doing for the reasons that he says, then it's conspiracy. Yeah, I like, I, I do like the, the character and relationship stuff in this episode, and, and the regulars do it all... Word may be too strong for me. ...all so well. And you can see them all grappling with, with the issue in different ways. More of that stuff, I think, in the second series would have been would have been just great. And I don't mean, like, the usual... Koenig versus everybody else because we've kind of had that before in well several episodes in the first series but also I'm thinking of the bringers of wonder not necessarily you know Koenig as the lone you know hero or voice of reason or whatever but just that that kind of friction that kind of tension there is no escape it's very nicely played you are shut off anywho Koenig is hearing the voice in the asteroid what do you want from me and my people you were a fortunate accident, Commander. Well, they've heard that one before, haven't they? Coming into our path of space. We need your stores of energy, sir. Sir? This very moment. Your Did I hear that right? Did he call him sir? To that end. That's quite um, refreshing as well. A very polite and civilised villain. People. Even though we don't see anybody. A black sun once appeared in our galaxy. Oh, a black sun. Began to absorb all our energy. Our technology was powerless against it. Mm, we didn't have a Paul Jones to fly into it. Total extinction. Our scientists created a seed. Is that the only mention in the second season of black suns? I know that in the first season they were mentioned outside of the episode Black Sun. Again, that's a nice little um, bit of... I don't know if continuity, but just, you know, a, a, a linearity of, of terminology in this show. Ooh. The heart of Calthon, Commander. It's gone from a collection of little yellow lights to one big green light. Everything is contained here. Cities, people, animal and vegetable life. Onions. Microcosm. All in a state of suspended life. I also don't know who's doing this voice, and I'm not sure if it's a voice that's been identified or not. But I, I like this performance, because as I said, it was nice that he was he was very polite and civilised at the beginning, and then by the end he'll become a ranting maniac like a lot of other Year 2 villains. What kind of uncivilised beings are you to commit such a crime? The process is about to begin. Sir. About to be regenerated. It sounded almost like a sort of old-timey announcer voice. The the thing is about to begin. Oh, take your seats. It cannot make moral choices or decisions. That's an interesting angle, and I wish they'd kind of leaned into that more. That this was a totally amoral thing, doing it its way in a totally amoral way. Similar to something like the space brain, but then we instantly get this. Escape. You know, you are trapped, you are, you ha 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 And he will later, I think, do a mwahahaha. It kind of goes against what he said. I really appreciated that in the first series, where you would get antagonists or threats that weren't evil. They were just doing what they did because it was what they did and they didn't know any other way. Things like the space brain or the force of life that takes over Anton Zoroff. 1900 hours. If you'd had those things going, mwahaha, I'll destroy you all, it would just have, have killed those episodes. 
And I don't think it scuppers this one entirely, but it's... Well, it's an inconsistency that I think it could do without. Anywho, Koenig has in the lab. Dr. Russell outside to see you, sir. The rock under a glass dome thingy. Yeah, this, this lab set appeared several times in the second series. I don't think it was ever meant to consistently be the same room. I would have to assume, you know, Alpha's a big place. They've got lots of uh, similar such rooms all over the base. There are guards all over the place, John. She says that as if those people don't exist normally. They would have to be somewhere on the base being security guards when, when things were normal. He's running away from me. I can't stop. I've got to stand in this room and look out the window. It's important. Could talk about what's happening to Alpha. Hmm. Jeopardy to our entire life support system. This is another very nicely played scene, particularly, I think, by, by Barbara, because she's trying to... Happening to me. I've got a job to do and I'm trying to do it. She doesn't have for a moment any suspicion that this isn't Koenig. Asteroid John. Yet. She just tried to touch him and he moved away. Why are you shutting me up? I'm not. I told you all once. And it also plays on the established relationship between these two characters. For us by then. The sort of semi-romantic thing that they'd built up to this point. To an Helena, atmosphere and I can't stop for anything. Nothing. And she's trying to, to get through to him. She's trying to be reasonable. Order you to have a medical examination. She's trying to do her job. The overall command of Alpha is your responsibility. Everyone knows that. But... As chief of the medical staff, the health and well-being of everyone at Alpha is my responsibility. Now, if I suspect anything... Helena, do you think I would do anything to jeopardize the health or lives of our people? And she touched him. Oh, and the instant look on her face of I don't know who you are but I know you're not Koenig and he realises I must check in with the construction crews oh. yeah I mean for all you know for all the criticism levelled at Barbara Bain throughout you know well for this series and her performance in it moments like this no she's she's good her quarters they it's just some, some strange choices were made in the first season and maybe they went a bit too far the other way for the second year, but no, she's she's good. She's very good here. Well, just that that shock and disbelief. This is all over. I will have that medical examination. Oh, and he's trying to give her a little phony smile and she just can't get out of there fast enough. I touched him. His skin was like ice. Eerie, hardly. Say it, Helena. Hardly human. Hardly human. Oh, so now Helena is well and truly in with Tony and Meyer in the, the mutiny gang. He tried to avoid it. We're in Meyer's quarters again, and there's a there's a piece of wood on the wall with what looks like a little bunch of flowers sticking out of it. Neither of us said anything. I I was too shocked. Where does she get all these knickknacks from? Is this stuff she's inherited from other people around the base, or did they visit, like, an alien bazaar at some point? ...of his skin. The thing is that up until that moment, I believed everything he said. And now? And again, that what I was saying about Barbara's acting in the previous scene is carried straight through to here. She's just in shock now. I'm afraid. The answer's in the crystal. And for all you can, you know, maybe knock... Tony, and to a certain extent, Maya, at least their, their, their addition to the show, their sudden absolutely sure. inclusion in the, the command stuff, seems like this, it's really, 
you know, they've earned their place. They belong here. Gonna call it quits for now? The way the commander's riding us, I'd like to call it quits forever. I know what you mean. Just great. Anywho, those two dubbed characters talking to each other. That was a security guard and a lady named Cranston. Command center as long as he can. That was neither of their voices. Um, that was a technician leaving the commander's lab. So Maya now turns herself into Cranston. And that's, yeah, that's not the actress's voice. Something. I'll never tell. At least not in my own voice. Yeah, that's neither of their voices. Um, this actress, I want to say her name is Martha Nan. I may have that wrong. I've only ever seen her in, I think she was in an episode of The Professional. She was a, a villain in that. I don't remember seeing her in, in anything else, which is a shame because she's terribly cute. Anywho, this is not Cranston. This is Maya as Cranston shooting the rock. Trying to get a sample. And here's actually a, a good example of um, an actor in one small scene doing a really good job. Cranston. Because I believe completely that this is Maya. Yes, Commander. Uh, obviously, the, the fake voice brings it down. Reflector units. Your orders have been carried out, sir. Ooh. And of course, Doppelganger Koenig doesn't know these people well enough to know maybe Cranston is just a bit moody at times. Also, that was, that was a cool touch as well. He was like, huh? And then he looked around at the security guard who had been looking at him over his shoulder and then as soon as they made eye contact, the security guard was like, no, I wasn't looking, I wasn't looking. That's a nice, nice little scene. Um, I, I, yeah, props to Martha Nairn if that is her real name and if not, God knows who I've, who I've referenced there. But also props to that guy playing the security guard. dense. I have to look her up now, I'm sorry. Um, I have to make sure that that's right. Not dead. Because otherwise, I've probably mentioned someone who, I don't know, had nothing to do with anything. It's impossible to imagine the effects that such a substance could have on a human being. Nah, got it right. I got it right. How can we help John combat it? We have to face the possibility that Commander Koenig may no longer be flesh and blood oh so they're still on the understand they're still operating on the assumption that this is koenig transformed in some way you are trapped there is no escape so meanwhile on the asteroid that cannot make moral choices koenig is being laughed at by an evil person now he sees his own reflection shoots out a glass oh is that the way out no, because this is a way to put him on ice for a bit. He's trapped. And that's a familiar fa uh, sound effect mixed in with the, the music there. I think that's a Fireball XL5 sound effect. It sounded almost um, Barry Grayish in its uh, spaciness. But yeah, Koenig is now trapped. After having been told, you are trapped, you are trapped, you are trapped. They then decided to trap him. Ooh, and Maya has broken the rock. It works. With ultrasonics, was that? The ultrafrequency sound seems to split the molecules into particles of atoms that bombard the crystal. Ah, so now Alan has been brought in. Get to the asteroid, knock out the rest of that stuff. And he is clearly... Damn it, I still don't buy it. ...not on board with this. Theories, you can't prove anything. How can you be such a dumb blind kangaroo? Can't you see Jumping around the place. There's a lot of crazy talk. Alan, we've just demonstrated some very odd properties in this crystal. And also, if you look at this scene through the lens of 
Alan's always been here. These two are fairly recent additions, if not to the show and to the base, at least to the command structure. You will accept that the commander is not behaving in his... You, you can understand where Alan is coming from here. He's uptight. Alan managed to... When isn't he, though? Skin was as cold as ice. Its texture and temperature approximates that crystal. You said yourself something... It's also nice that as sort of newcomers, essentially, Tony and Maya are the ones... Terrible threat! ...doing the right thing, pushing for an explanation. There are strange things here. We have to acknowledge this. We can't just stick our head in the sand. John Koenig! Do you remember him, John Koenig? Alan Witt... No, you weren't here in the first season, the cobber. I was. Yeah, it's just... It's so in keeping with all these characters, it's lovely. Him, apparently. Maybe we can. Yeah? How? Give him a back rub. Alan. You've got to help us get an eagle. All the eagles are grounded. All the launch pads are sealed off. We know. Duh. <laughs> it was a lovely uh, sort of, oh, God, reaction on Catherine Shell's face there. Instinct old training. Instinct training. You're hiding behind words. Oh, them's fighting words, lady. Well, they may be just words to you, but to me they add up to something else. Loyalty and duty, and my duty is to John Koenig. If you're the man I love. John Koenig, you would help him. Exactly. Oh, good point. Well, in my book cover, your kind of help is mutiny. <gasps> oh, no. That's that. No help from Alan. Well, they tried. This is the commander. All Alpha personnel will remain at their posts or in their quarters during the transfer of power to the energy beam. Deactivate main circuits. Oh. Patients in the medical centre. Oh, Jenny Cresswell's in medical centre. What's wrong with her? She's normally manning a desk in command centre. Cutting out. Oh, here we go. Worrying about those life support systems. I like in the second series as well that they have... Uh, the, the, the life support system is so fragile that it even has a little um, countdown number board. Just to show how uh, how broken it is at that point. So we're now transmitting all of the base's power over to the crystal. Oh, the lights have gone down as well. Port system six is fading out. Which is also a, a nice touch as well, and something they didn't do that often. I think the only other time they did that is in Space Warp. Wait a minute. I'm losing life support. It does make the, the place look more effectively moody and, and atmospheric and such. But some people are not all the people, Doctor. Oh, well, that's not a Koenig line at all, is it? Oh, yes. The base is also looking very um, quiet as Tony and Maya sneak through. Ah, uh, Quentin Pierre and another security guard, though. They've been given laser rifles. Maya, I, th I thought she was wearing a skirt earlier, but she now seems to have changed the pants. It's actually, I think, a, a far better look um, for the, the female actors in this show wearing the pants rather than the, the short skirts. Um... It just looks somewhat unprofessional, I think, those those very short skirts on the, the female actresses in this show. Um, Helena was wearing one earlier, and I think Pam Rose was as well. Anywho, Maya and Tony are heading out for an eagle. Mr. Verdeshi, you shouldn't be in this section. But they've been stopped by Jack Claff. Eagles without direct orders from the commander. And I have orders to disarm all personnel. Yes, he's a security guard who appeared in, I think, three episodes. This is his first of three, the others being Space Warp and the Immunity Syndrome. I'm sorry, but I have orders to inform the commander of any unauthorized personnel in this Who's a, a, a really good actor in a very small role in this series, but nice enough that they brought him back enough times. I also really like... I don't know if that's rehearsal footage or not, but <laughs> one shot of um, Monster Maya throwing herself at, at Jack Claff there 
Um, Claffy's clearly smiling. They've knocked him out, left his body in the boarding tube, and taken off in the eagle. Um, I, the boarding tube would have to retract. What happens to his body? <laughs> I know he doesn't die because he's in later episodes, but even so, it's like um, they could have dragged him out of the airlock first. Maybe they should have done that. I don't know. But yeah, that's a really good example of, of a, a good actor in a very small role being being brought back. It's nice to see this show sort of rewarding actors, um, even in small parts like that. Eagle One is spaceborne, sir. Where is it heading? I also like as well that Tony there had no control over one of his own security guards. It just says it all, really, doesn't it? Shut it down. You cannot mean that. Are you asking to be relieved of duty? No, sir. We'll get you off the series again. They can't shoot it down if weapons section has been redressed as the life support centre. You heard me! We don't have Petrov and the the buttons to do that this week. Also strange there that for Alan to get into that shot where, where Xenia was on the screen talking to the commander, for Alan to then get on the screen as well, he had to basically push Xenia out of the way there. I do like that shot, though, of... the laser gun. Oh, Alan, don't do it. I do like that shot of um, the eagle um, moving towards the asteroid, running horizontal with the um, the laser beam being projected from Alpha. Laser gun on target, John. Shoot it down! You can see in Nick Tate's performance now, Alan is sort of wearily coming round to the idea that this either isn't Koenig at all or something is seriously wrong. Get that, Maya. One thing's for sure. We stay together. Yeah. Nothing can go wrong that way. Oh, but it's not been shot down. Carter! I gave orders to shoot that craft down. What sort of insubordination is this? Commander, I can't do it. It's Aussie insubordination. I, I know who's up there. Tony, I ordered you to fire! Well, I won't do it! Oh, come on, Commander. I can't. Oh. I like them shouting at each other. More of this, please. But Koenig has noticed the laser gun control panel. Alan has noticed he's noticed. Helena has noticed he's noticed. Sandra has noticed he's noticed. Come on, there you can. Sandra's doing something brave. And it's over. That was just so... They gave Xenia a little moment for all of maybe four seconds before he shoved her out of the way. Oh, dear. Even, even when she came back to the show, they didn't do right by Xenia, I don't think. Time keeps running away from you. Mm. That's what you said, isn't it? He said that, yeah. Yes, if he fires the laser... Oh no. What'll he do? Everyone's getting dramatic close-ups again. Retract laser gun. Weapon section, retract the laser gun. Yeah, Glenda Allen's getting some more stuff to do here as well. She's she's manning a desk at... Um, I owe you all an apology. The front of shot there. I've been withholding information from you. There's Pam in the background as well. No, it was a mistake. That asteroid is not only draining our power, it's... Don't listen to him. This is not John Koenig. Hey, Pam got a close-up. Other guy got a close-up. What are you talking about? Helena, I, I love that. Koenig, who am I? Sort of instant, tender, sympathetic sight that the doppelganger leans into at this point. I am like ice. Oh, Glenda's stood up. This is serious. affect me on that asteroid. I don't know what it was. I would rather have had them shot down than go there and face dangers beyond the ones I faced. Oh, yes, that that cave that I went into and was in for all of five minutes and came out from unharmed. Believe me, something's wrong. It isn't the way he says. Helena, please try to get hold of yourself. Dear, you silly, irrational lady. Me to use my authority as commander. Oh, and I like as well that as Landau walks towards Bane, she's backing away, scared, um, for all of her talk that, you know, this isn't Koenig, but 
when it comes down to it, she obviously knows that, but she's like, don't come near me, don't touch me. We've all been under strain. You know, at this point, what's to, to stop her just from taking a laser and shooting him? Oh, that's interesting. She's gone and sat at a desk where, among the usual sort of oscilloscopes and things, she's got what look like um, the numbers that you would see on a, like an old-time cash register. I guess at the time they looked sort of high-tech and futuristic, but now they look like, well, the, the numbers from an old-time 1970s cash desk. Anywho, that's a nice touch. The asteroid is glowing as, as Tony and Maya land their eagle on it. That's also a nice bit of music there that I like, and that's lifted from the metamorph. That um, You can hear that tick, tick, tick in the background of time counting down. We're running out of time here. Yeah, there's the cave, just like Alan said. Commander! We just left him on Alpha. Look at the lettering on his jacket, it's backwards. Oh, they found... Like a reflection. Koenig. Reflection? From where? Frozen in the mirror. What is it, man? What are you doing? Looks like she's doing a uh, mind theater. What are you saying that he was able to transport himself down here? <laughs> Just, you're saying he's magic, John? Yes. Only Tony would would leap to that kind of uh, kind of conclusion. State. If that really is John, then who the hell is that on Alpha? I mean, everybody is very slow putting the pieces together at certain points in this episode, but Tony is just like, oh dear, Tony is Tony. Tony be Tony, Tony will do Tony. And now, hitting the glass isn't doing anything either. Free. Laser. I mean, without killing him. Tony, we found out what we've come here to find out. If we don't move quickly, it won't matter. Mm. John, I don't know if you can hear me, but if you can, I'm going to use my laser. Now break away fast so I can cut the beam as soon as possible. Uh, that's made me think of a line, actually, from Bringers of Wonder when Tony shot the alien and... Koenig went, no, Tony, they get their power from energy. You know, in this episode, Tony using his gun is a good thing. In that episode, Tony using his gun was a bad thing. You, John, you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Listen, your image is up on Alpha. I know. We don't know what he's trying to do. He's trying to regenerate an entire new civilization. This place is about to explode into life any second now. That's why he needs our energy. Let's get back. Come on. He's draining off the power. Let's all go. Reflector, he's beaming the energy. We can have this conversation on the way back. Come on. It's the heart of Calphar. It's here somewhere in this complex. If we find it, we can destroy it. With sound. High frequency sound. Maya spit open a sample of the crystal with sonar. I've programmed our comlovs to the exact same pitch. Good. Comlovs? Regal, back to Alpha. You two find the heart of Calthon and destroy it. We'll pick you up later. Yeah. Okay. That's um, basically how Tony and Maya are left in this story with just the line, we'll pick you up later. As we'll later find out, um, well, we certainly don't see that happen on screen. Oh yes, there's our old friend, the um, unable to make moral decisions heart of Calthon, laughing like a maniac. I wish they'd, they'd not done that. It's so... It's so dull when you have villains going ha over and over again. Right, so they found the thingy. At least what they think is the thingy. I like as well, actually, that they're using the comlocks to generate the sound. But... They've bungled it. <laughs> you are trapped. Trapped forever. Oh, oh, oh. I'm so incapable of making moral decisions. Oh, oh, oh. oh, stop it. I'm also not a fan of the way Shell and Alhot are directed there to 
to portray being trapped as they sort of gradually rotate. But now they're frozen. Everything's sparking around them. Plus five. Commander, our temperature is dropping rapidly. This will eliminate half our instruments. Our violin, our, our tuba, the clarinet is already gone. Oh, this is good stuff. I know a certain kind of uh, 1999 fan likes this. Long, slow pans across those control panels on the wall. All those little numbers and switches and blinking lights, all of which mean nothing. And I think some of this actually is um, reused from the day after tomorrow. There was a panel right there with the word satellites on, and I'm fairly sure that's the one that the Antares crew used to, to release the satellites in that. Well, all the panels are now shut down. Water in the recycling plant is frozen. Or we, or we can go skating. Yeah, all of the extras are now looking concerned again. Xenia and, and also Glenda are playing... Um, I'm cold acting here. Oh, now Bane is as well. Real Koenig is back. Because, of course, he has to save the day by himself. It's, I, I, you know, I get that probably Landau, if not demanded, then sort of stipulated that this kind of thing had to happen. But it is kind of boring. It would just be nice for once if, you know, if Alan had been the one to, uh, to save the day. We have more power. We need all available power for the beam. Alpha is dying. Can't you realize that? I will not have my orders questioned. Now Helena seems to have forgotten her idea that this isn't Koenig. Anymore. Dr. Russell, you're relieved of duty. Ooh. Alan, you've got to stop him now. Alan, get back to your post. John! Someone shoot him. You've got enough guns. No. It all comes down to one man. Someone plus 15. One man jogging his way to command center. Destroy Alpha. Carter, I gave you an order. That order is countermanded. Oh, yeah. He's back. I also like there, actually, in some of those shots, they they've turned the lighting down even more in Command Center, so it looked like Nick Tate was just against total black there. It was nice and effective, as they were arguing. My desk, alien. Oh, split-screen time. That is an image creature, projected by the asteroid. He's really mean. Don't let him hurt me. Destroy it! No. Destroy it! No, no one's going to do that. Want a reflection. How can this guy prove that he's the real thing? I know what its force is trying to do to us. It's running out of time. It's going to be very difficult. That's the truth. If it can't drain the last of our power, it'll die. That's why Aside from the fact that this man is speaking with more confidence and dignity than fake Koenig has ever shown. Complete the transfer. Helena, you can tell us apart. The things we've shared, he can't know. Hey, hey, hey. Not of me, not of me. That's not saying them all. I need no further proof than his actions, John. Oh. How clever they are. How very clever. Under pressure of emergency, they've got me acting totally contrary to my own character. So that even Dr. Russell doubts me. Well, yeah, because it's not like the real Koenig has ever completely flipped out and run around the base screaming before. Alan. Alan, baby. Oh, no. Look at the jacket. Really good increasing desperation here from Landau, though. As, as the image creature trying to... Uh, Ask you which one of us is a reflection. Trying to fight his case. Yes, the lettering is backwards because he switched jackets. <gasps> oh, no. The thing, the hair. Alan. <gasps> Alan. The part in my hair. Oh, that's right! Oh, who who didn't notice that? Every regular character on the show completely missed it. Ah. You're too late. And we're coming up on a very sudden now, ending regenerate. for this show. Calthorn lives! Alien Koenig is impervious to lasers. Calthorn dies! Koenig has pressed a button. Calthorn lives! Um, it's just a button with some random numbers on. I'm assuming it's... Well, based on what Meyer and Tony said earlier, it's a build-up of sound, but I don't know why that was instantly there on, 
on Koenig's desk. Again, a close-up for Glenda Allen there. She's being shot this week as if she's a regular character, which is nice. Tony and Maya are free from the asteroid that's about to explode. They're now going to uh, run off the set. And that's it. We don't see any more of them. Presumably they were rescued off-screen, but um, I don't know who did that. Oh, let's say Mo. And all we have left is a pile of rock dust on the floor and a lot of shock reactions and then straight to the end credits. Presumably everything is alright, but there's not really much time to uh, establish whether it is or not. So anywho, that was Seed of Destruction, which, um, yes, I would have to say is probably in the better half of Season 2. Perhaps just barely. It is, it, it's not one that I rushed to, to come back to. In fact, seeing it come up today, I was like, oh. No, no, no. But it, it's good performances all around. It's very atypical for the second season in terms of the, the drama and the character tension. It's good stuff. Um, maybe let down by a poor villain, but uh, no, on the whole, I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Well, year two. Yeah, yeah that's all right. I'll take a bit of that. All right, fine. Yeah, sure. Well, good for you. Have a slice. On. <laughs> that have the whole thing while you're at it. I would, I would. And I'd come back for more. Don't make yourself sick. Uh, I'm sure that uh, we'll be back with something very different because last week it was Four for the Falls. This week, Space 1999, yeah. Year 2. Because it's, oh, it's random. Oh, of course, that's why we don't know what's It's random, that's the point. Now, talking to Space 1999 Series 2. Yes. As they were shooting it coming towards the end, was it apparent that there wasn't going to be a third series? Oh, you know? I think they must have had the writing on the so? wall. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you... When you finished Space Precinct, mm. I'm sure Dad sent a letter around to the cast and crew. Do you remember that was kind of optimistic about a series yeah, two? Yeah, we booked the stages, we're writing scripts, it's yeah. all happening again, hope to see you then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I think there's always that attitude because you want sure. people to be ready. Yeah. But I think they, they would have right. had the writing on the wall and felt that it was not, you know, picking up what it needed to do. And so. I suppose at some point they would have to think about re-engaging Martin Landau and Barbara Bain, so they would have you know, had exactly. that conversation, you know, or not. So, yes, it probably was quite clear, wasn't it? Yeah, sadly. Mm. Yeah, there we are. Well, we've got two years. You know, that's not a that's not a failure. Even one series, you know, even Space Precinct. I know people talk of it being cancelled. It wasn't cancelled as such. This wasn't that's, not, that's not a failure. So, yeah, it's 24 episodes. Exactly. That's a thing that's out there. It's great. 100%. Yes, yeah, we, we should be grateful for all the things that exist. Uh, talking of which, have you looked at our YouTube channel recently? Cool. Not you. I'm not talking to you. Oh, sorry. I'm talking to the Podstrons at home. Are you one of the 65,312 subscribers? It's more than that. <laughs> Is it? I can't remember. 774, uh, I think. Oh, I see. Fine. Uh, have you taken part in the Jerry Anderson TV themes quiz? Ah, uh, yes. Now, a Good couple one, of weeks ago, it? Jamie, you challenged me to have a go and to tell you how I got on. Yes, and... Well, uh, just a few other comments beneath it, first of all, from Canadian Gadfly, for example, who got 20 out of 24. Good score. Uh, one I don't remember, Space Police. Fair enough. He says, and three, or she, and three I never had the opportunity to hear before, The Investigator, GFI, and the aptly named You've Never Seen This. Yeah. To be fair, GFI is a bit of a curveball because there's almost nobody who would have heard (laughs) that. You would have had to have guessed from the fact that you just hadn't heard it, but you knew everything else. Yeah, that's right. But great editing job, says Canadian Gadfly. Lots of fun. Let's do this again. Uh, Mark LaFrance says, I only got 10, but I had a blast trying to remember them all. Very fun. And Odie Dillon said, uh, well, 23 correct. Shame that I missed Torchy, which was a fab fave show of mine as a wee lad. Please create a DVD and or downloadables album of the full theme instrumentals from this entire list. Well, 
Mm. Well, uh, th- that is something that we are talking about, so stand ah. by for that. Uh, Ooh, it won't great. be anytime soon. Okay. But, um, yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, it's on our list of stuff to work on. Uh, well, I didn't do too badly, Jamie, actually. The ones I didn't get were The Day After Tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, Fireball XL5. You didn't get Fireball XL5? Well, because the clip is quite... It's not readily apparent from the clip that is played, okay. from, from my perspective, that it's Fireball XL5. Okay, okay. All right. Uh, and uh, GFI as well. And you've never seen this. Okay. Well, that's so that's one, two, three, four. I'd say that's, that's 20. 20 as well. That's 20 right. is a great score. Isn't it? That's I think pretty any, good. anything over 18 is a really good score. Yeah, yeah So exactly. well done if you've that's got over 18 in that. People also uh, commented beneath the uh, pod 243, which was, I think, the first part of the interview with Keith Shackleton. It was, yeah. Yep. Uh, Ian Deedy says, I've just been celebrating my 35th birthday yesterday, and I have to say that this week's episode was a very nice belated present for me. I can't wait for part two of Keith Shackleton's archive interview. Well, Ian, I hope you enjoyed it and part three that you've just listened to. I hope you enjoyed all all three bits, yes, and they were a nice belated birthday present. Yeah, and finally for now, Russell Potter says, as someone who is old enough to remember TV comic and the supercar strip, uh, then as an avid reader of TV21 and later later TV Tornado, which incorporated TV21 later on, uh, I even bought Lady Penelope, but I pretended it wasn't for me. Great memories with Keith Shackleton. That's nice, isn't it? So obviously bringing back lots of memories for lots of people, that uh, archive interview. Packed full of nostalgia, which is the way it should be. That's right, yeah. All for now, but yes, do pop over to our YouTube channel. Why not? There's so much there now. Have a go at the themes quiz. Let us know how you get on. Uh, And why not take a weekend and just immerse yourself in the uh, the Jerry Anderson duvet of goodness? Just wrap yourself up in it. But you it can purchase now from the Jerry Anderson store. No, <laughs> Along you, you, with your <laughs> oink, mats and your... That's, yeah. That's right. Ah, oh, great. There you go. Yes, good. Lovely. Yeah, enjoy the nostalgia. There's plenty yeah. of free stuff there. Uh, documentaries and uh, yeah, best ofs, free That's episodes, right. so much stuff. Yeah. Just enjoy it. That's what it's there for. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else, for James, that you'd like to add before we wrap this <sighs> thing up? No, I think that's all I have to offer. Good. Okay. Uh, well, that was the sound of the spent Richard James. That's it, yeah. Uh, you recognised it. Yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> now, lots of you have been uh, leaving reviews and uh, giving us ratings and stuff, and we're very, very grateful for that. Thank you. Please don't forget also that if you are not yet subscribed or following... Oh, yes. ...then you're doing yourself and us a great disservice. <laughs> I so should say so. It's time to sort that out. Um, please do make sure you've clicked the follow or the, the tick or the like or whatever it is on your mm-hmm. podcast app. Uh, so that you're staying subscribed and getting notified every week because mm. uh, we are here relentlessly, uh, week in, week out, mm. whether Great. you like it or not. Mm, okay. Hopefully yeah, you like it. it. Uh, anyway, let's go away. We'll okay. be back in pod 246. Yeah. And uh, yeah, have a great week till then, Postron. See you then. Bye. Bye. Let's go. Spectrum is green.
funny that I sometimes go into a whisper. I don't know why. Well, it's sort of building excitement and tension. In the last two words. <laughs> it's a bit late in the day, isn't it? <laughs> just at the yeah. end there. Just a bit just weird. Yeah, try, try putting all that excitement at the front, at the right. top end of the podcast. Two, yeah? four, six. I'm That's all, it. You're I'll try and remember with a whisper. to... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, we'll see what we can do. Yeah, I mean, is, is, that, the volume. is that proper acting training? Is that how oh, you do it? Oh, of course it, it is. Oh, yeah. yeah, you get people to draw, you know, draw people in closer. They lean forward on their seats to hear what you've got to say. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. And it also makes it sound like it's just for them. Oh, like so we should stop all this. Something. So we should be yeah. in doing this sort of that's very right. close. Exactly. And you say things like, have I got something just for you? Have Ooh. a listen to this. Yeah. Yeah, okay. What's that? Hang on, let me do that. Let me just see if I can find something that I could just oh. very quickly share with a, oh. a podster on. Okay. Oh. No, I mean... It's not that nasty rash, is it? <clears throat> uh, so let me share this with you. Uh, oh, yeah, that sounds good, yeah. yeah. Dear Mr. Anderson. <laughs> yeah. Your appointment with Dr. Long has been arranged right. at the consulting rooms on Tuesday the 4th of April. Wow. Parking I mean... is available on site <laughs> in the Aldi supermarket car park. <laughs> oh, Great. Brilliant. Well, that's not quite what I was thinking. It but, was all but, I had you know, to hand. Okay, right? fine. I mean, I hope everything's all right, is it? <laughs> it's fine. I'll tell you afterwards. Oh, dear. It, it's just a minor procedure. Oh, fair enough. Okay. Uh, but I shall be in the Aldi supermarket car park wow. on the 4th of April. This, so. this has turned into a whole new podcast. Oh, dear. Yeah, okay. Let's move on. Uh, have a great, I would. Have a great week. I'll see you next week. All right. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Jerry Anderson Podcast. Wasn't it fun? You have been listening to an Anderson Entertainment production.